This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Journey to Greatness number 12. As always, we want to thank Chami and Chani, and we want to wish a special Mazel Tov to Chami Landman on her engagement. And Claude, yep, there we go. Um, so jumping right into tonight's class. <laughs> tonight's class is um, coming towards the end of this Safer. I think that if you go back and you watch a lot of these ideas, try to internalize them, you'll find that they're not things that you can just like listen to. You really have to, at least in my opinion, go through a bit of a process to internalize and actualize a lot of these ideas. And tonight, I think is no different. We're going to try to, we're getting towards the end. And I mentioned last time that we're getting very deep and very esoteric. So we're going to try to, you know, simplify this, at least for me, because I'm a bit of a simple person, just to understand in our own ways, you know, how we can bring this, you know, amazing man, somebody who sort of achieved incredible heights and try to make that a part of our own lives. So we mentioned in the beginning, and I'm not going to go into the details of this because I don't fully grasp it or understand it, that a person exists within the world, the spiritual world of what we call a nefesh. A person has ruach, a person has neshama, a person has chaya and yechida, different levels, let's call it, of understanding or perception of Hashem. Okay, for all intents and purposes, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to talk about the idea of nefesh, the idea of living or experiencing things. And then we're just going to assume for tonight, at least, that these other worlds sort of fit one into the next. There are different levels of awareness, I guess, if you will. Okay, so just like we would talk about consciousness and subconsciousness and let's say dreams and, you know, having certain awarenesses, that's how we're going to interpret this just for the moment. Okay. And we also touched on, and I think this is an important point because we're going to build off of this, the, the the difference between somebody living their life through the world of Shemush, which means that they are doing things, I would argue probably the way most people do most things most of the time, which is that they just simply do it, they check the, bo- they check the box and they do it, versus the idea of an Aveda. And what we touched on last time, and I want to talk about that more tonight, is that in the world of Aveda, what is the world of Aveda? The world of Aveda is simply what I would call an experience. It's not simply that you did something. It's that something has become real for you. It has manifested itself. It, it could be a davening. It could be a chesed. It could be anything else. But the difference and something that he touched on in an earlier chapter here was that if a person doesn't experience Judaism... If a person rather just does Judaism, if a person checks the box through Judaism, if a person just just is a Jew, so you're a Jew, it's great, it's nice, it's wonderful, call a kavod, you'll check the box. But if a person wants to achieve greatness within Judaism, if a person wants to achieve greatness in anything really in life, they have to experience it. And it's amazing when you think about these ideas coming together, that there are so many people who live their whole life, 50, 60, 70, 100 years of being a yid, yet they've never experienced or actually tasted what it means to to really taste Yiddishkeit. So what does that mean? So tonight, tonight we're going to talk about that, that tasting and that experiencing and that understanding. So we know that there's many psukim. We say some of these psukim every day. Some of these psukim we say on auspicious times during the year. We talk about v'yadata hayoyim v'hashavisa elavavecha umala haaretz dea es Hashem. We talk about the idea of das. And we said that das is that awareness. It's such an acute awareness that it's like you're there. It's interesting because we just moved into a new office and I was pu- printing a bunch of the pictures that I, that I had taken throughout my 
journeys and hanging them all over the office because it's my office so i get to do that and everyone has to look at all of my pictures and and you know it says on the top you know ruby and epstein photography and some of these pictures are like at niagara falls and at the grand canyon and these are like moments that for me when i see these pictures it's almost like transporting me back to those moments to those places which were jaw-dropping when you're standing there and you're looking at the picture you see it it's like wow that's such a beautiful picture then you move on but when you were there when i was there these were these were things that literally were breathtaking. Just on a side note, very interesting because there's one picture that I took that I took. Um, I didn't just take it at at Niagara Falls, but when I went to the falls, they had these like I don't know how to explain it, almost like these pylons, like these big um, pieces of cement. And I had climbed onto a piece onto the cement, and I was taking a picture to get a certain angle where I'm able to capture like the whole roundabout of the falls, Niagara Falls. And there's a man. It's like a whole long picture. It's a I think it's a beautiful picture, of course, because I took it. But <laughs> but the picture is a picture, right? And I was explaining to somebody yesterday. I said, like, you don't know, you don't hop the chachma of this picture. You think it's just a picture of Niagara Falls. It's not. I had to climb onto a pylon. It was like a whole story. And it was this morning. I woke up. And my phone, every morning, it gives me like an alert of like photos usually that have to do with that day. So so my phone says, oh, today is May 3rd. So May 3rd, 2013, you went for a walk in Central Park. And then it gives you pictures of Central Park. This morning I wake up and it says, you, you might be interested in these photos. And the photos, I didn't search for this, nothing. The photos on my phone were of me standing on top of this pylon, taking a picture by the falls and sending someone a video saying, you're not going to believe this. I'm standing on top of a pylon all the way up here by Niagara Falls so I could capture this in this picture. And your your phone listens to everything that you say, and it just threw that into my day. Like, by the way, you know, we're listening to everything you say. So, you know, there's an Eisen Shemas and there's an Ayin Roya. Don't don't ever forget that. So tonight's idea is the idea of listening, and not just listening, but internalizing, and internalizing to the point where you actually effectuate this. So how does this work? So I want to share with you two stories, which I think highlight this, and then I want to get into our our own daily avidal, if you if you want to call it like that. So the first idea is there's a girl that I met recently. And she was telling me about her story of of donating a liver. Now, I want to go back in time. The first speech that I ever gave was a speech that I gave in the old city of Yerushalayim. They were looking for somebody to speak from Rabbi Berkowitz's Kailo, because Rabbi Berkowitz is known for his Beinadam HaChavirai, you know, Shmuzin and, and Halachas and everything. And they called the Kailo and they asked if there would be somebody who would come down and talk about Hilchas Beinadam HaChavirai. So... They said, who here wants to take like a three-mile walk in 100-degree weather? I raised my hand. I'll do it. And I went down. It was my first speech I ever gave. And I, I walked into the old city, and it was a speech to the niche of the old city. So it was like, I don't know, 75, 80 ladies. I don't know how big. It was like a big crowd, overwhelming crowd, like for the first time I was ever speaking. And until today, I remember the, the speech that I gave. It was probably 15 years ago. It's, the speech that I was giving on was the sugya of Avas Rayim, of Yahav Telerecha Kamecha. And I asked, I said, who here thinks that they've mastered the Ahav Telerecha Kamecha? Like, and everybody raised their hand. We love everybody. We love all Jews, right? We're just great, wonderful, amazing people. We live in the old city of Yerushalayim. What could be better? Like, you know, waiting for Mashiach to come down in a pillar of fire. We, we've got this. And the question that I opened with was, if a guy came to your door, and he's collecting money for a family, a friend of his, who he knows, good guy, wonderful guy. And this guy doesn't have any money because he's been very busy working for his organization called Nature Karta. And he's been going out to meet in Iran with various leaders there to push forward the Palestinian agenda. 
And Nebuch, this guy's poor kids. They don't have food. They don't have money. They don't have clothes. They don't have shoes. Who here would like to donate to that cause? And like, you saw everybody's hands like slowly going down. Like, <laughs> like who will? Like that, it's a little bit more challenging when you actualize it, right? And in many ideas in our life, in theory, these ideas are very easy. But in practice, when you're actually actualizing it and realizing the balance between what it is that you're trying to be shaykel, what you're trying to, to balance, that's where the challenge lies. And this girl told me that she, had gone through a number of, it was like an emotional journey, I guess, if you will, of literally thinking to herself, I like people, I love people, I would do something for somebody. Okay, what does that mean in reality? Would you give of your time? Would, would you like give of your money? Like how far would you push yourself to giving to somebody else? And it came to the point where she pushed herself to literally take one of her organs, chop it up, and give it to somebody else. And she's part of this group that they call chopped liver, the chopped livers, right? That's what they do. They, they, they're people who have gone literally and taken a piece of themselves and given it to somebody else. And she said that the person that they gave it to, you can't begin to fathom the amount of hakara satayv that this family has for her. You can't begin to fathom it. They, she gave it over to another girl. The girl had a disease and it, it like destroyed her liver. And she literally gave over life. A piece of herself was given to this person and this person got their life back. They got their entire life back. We, simple people, unless any of you have done this, cannot fathom what it means to give life to somebody else, to give them back their life, their quality of life. We cannot fathom it. We could talk about it. We could think about it. But to bring yourself to that level is not just knowing, I love Hashem, I love everybody else, I love people, kumbaya. It's not just kumbaya. It's you're willing to go under the knife, spend months, it's months of getting back to yourself after giving over something like that. That is not simple. A friend of mine told me that his daughter became very sick. I was just thinking about this. His daughter became very, very sick. Um, and they tested all the kids to see who was a match to give her bone marrow. And he, he told me that when, when the test came back, there were two kids who came out that they were, that they were a match. And he said, and a massive fight broke out in his house. What was the fight? The fight was that each one wanted this chus to be able to give bone marrow to the other one. And the doctors were explaining to them, you don't chop, it's so hard and it's so painful. And they were each like, good, I want to do it. I want to give it myself. They were, there was a fight and they had to make like a whole gyro, like, like figuring out who has this chus to give this over. That's the difference between yidia, you know something, and you feel something and it's, 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 it's busting out of you. It's busting out of you. You're loving someone else to the point where you're literally willing to sacrifice, to go through pain, anything else. And that feeling, that feeling is feeling alive. Interestingly, even though you go through pain, you're actually feeling alive. And we said that your nefesh, which is your life force, it actually feels alive when you tap into certain things. One of those things is when you give life. When you, when you help someone, when you tap into like one of these ideas, you're not just, oh, now I feel bad. You feel so alive and it carries you, carries you for years later what you did. And the Hakara Satayv, the reality, I just want you to feel for a minute, that family whose daughter got back her life because of this person who, who give, gave a part of themselves or a sibling who was able to be there for their sister in order to give their sister life that feeling is a transcendent feeling. Are you with me? That's not a feeling of, of you went to a shear and it was a nice year. It wasn't a feeling of like, I have my neighbor and I mowed their lawn. It's a transcendent feeling. It's a godly feeling. It's a feeling that it, it's almost like not of this world, if you will. Okay? Those are the feelings. When we talk about dea, it's an experience. 
And that experience, it's almost like a light. Like you can almost like feel that light of a person sitting there living and saying to themselves, wow, I, I'm not just alive. I, I gave life. I, I, that person is alive their whole life, their children, their grandchildren, everything that will become of that person. That's me. Not in a Gaivadika way, not like, oh, I did that. But, but in a, in a Nishama perspective, I've given over life. Hashem gave me all the tools and abilities to hand over to somebody else, right? Renewal, the organization, the hundreds and hundreds of people who they've given them back their life. High lifeline, right? All of these organizations, that's all, obviously. It's not of this world. It's not something that's comprehensible. It's a feeling that transcends this world. There was, my wife was telling me about a couple that she knew. She actually spoke to a doctor who told her that there was a couple that came to this doctor who helps people have children. And this doctor said that there was a couple that had been to like dozens and dozens and dozens of doctors. They were getting much older. And basically every doctor said, we're really sorry, but there's no chance you'll ever have a child. And this doctor, when he heard of that, he felt the pain of this couple, took them on, spent a very long time, tremendous amount of his own resources to look into their case and find the solution to their issue to the point where finally, ultimately, they did have a child, which they actually named after the doctor. That's how much Akarasatev they had. Every time they see this child, the love of 20, 30 years, whatever it was, of trying to have a child, they finally had the child. We're going to, like that, that Akarasatev is going to be here always. That feeling is not, it's not of this world. It's a trans, it's, it, it's, it's from a different planet. It's a feeling that some people sometimes have a schuss to get to sometime in their life. What he talks about though is that when a person feels that feeling through various things in your life, what happens actually is that it carries you even during the times in your life that are very dark. So even if later on in your life something happens to you, you get down because of whatever reason, you're able to sort of gain energy, pull energy from that feeling that you've had. Why? Because within your relationship, if you, if you want to view a relationship almost like as one to a hundred, you've achieved a hundred. The way I like to view many relationships is that it's like, two different units, let's call it. And these units are in their own way perfect. They could be straight or they could have their own curves or edges. But to a very large degree, a relationship is two different things. And those things have to be sewed together and then they become one long thing. Think about a fabric. Fabric is two separate units which then get sewed together. And those moments of connection between a couple, parents, children, friends, are those moments that sew that into one. And you become one person. To a very large degree, when something becomes so strong within a relationship, even if later on there are things within the relationship that sever that bond, nevertheless, you can pull from that feeling even later on. There was a couple that I was dealing with many years ago where they were not in a good place, to say the least. They were really not in a good place. But there was one night where the wife was extremely vulnerable and the husband went out of his way and he spent a number, number of hours and he was there for his wife. It was interesting to me because it didn't strike me till later on that for about four or five years when I was dealing with this couple, every time his wife would start complaining about her husband, she would go, you don't know what he did to me. And then she would stop herself and she would go, but he was there for me that night. Like she would start talking, but he was there for me that night. She was able to draw on one night that he pushed himself. Now, obviously, he didn't just bring her a candy bar and make a smiley face and give it to her. He was really there for her in a moment that she needed somebody to be there for her. But sometimes within our relationships, 
whether it's with ourselves or with our friends or or family or parents or with Hashem, when we have these moments that are so deep and so strong, it transcends. And it doesn't just transcend for the moment, it transcends sometimes for years to come. So that when you're in that hard time and you say to yourself, but where's Hashem in my life? I don't feel Him. And I'm having a hard time davening and connecting and feeling it. Yeah, you may be having a hard time right now, but don't forget that time that He was there for you. Don't forget that moment, that moment that you felt that something. That something is something that you can draw an energy off of for many years to come. Just so that there's a book, it's called If God is So Good then why is the world so bad? It was written by, his name is Rabbi Benjamin Blach. And the story goes of basically a man who, whose family, he grew up in Switzerland, and his family ultimately was running away from the Nazis, and there was a family that took, took in the Blach family. And ultimately they escaped from the war and they made it to America. And in the book he describes, and this became a big focus of, of, of his talks, was the idea that even within all the bad, what stuck out to him was not the bad. What stuck out to him was the humanity of a family that was willing to risk everything in order to save him. That bond of that family, that non-Jewish family that risked their own life to save him, that, that bond is what's, what, what stayed with him for so many years to the point where many years later he took his family back to Europe to introduce that family, his family in America, to the family in Europe who had saved them. Some feelings, feelings that are trans- transcendent, they're not just of this world. You can oftentimes carry those feelings for years and for, and for generations later. And that's the first concept, that feeling. Whatever that feeling is, however you want to word it or feel it or touch it, I don't know how we describe it, but I would call it like a transcendent feeling. That transcendent feeling is the experience, the experience of the Adata Hayyan. You'll know, you'll feel. It, it's out of this world. It's like you look up, you're just like, Wow, breathtaking. That feeling is the feeling that a person should try to achieve. Now, it's interesting that I think within the world of Karbanas, a lot of people get very like, what is this idea of Karbanas? And we're taking animals and we're shechting them. And there's a big machlekes even within the world of the Rishayinim as to why there were Karbanas, the Ramban and the Rambam, which we're not going to get into right now. But it is brought down that the carbon mincha that was brought every day, as soon as they brought a carbon mincha, the Zayar says, there were three things that happened, okay? And I want to segue into something that we can touch every single day. As soon as a carbon milk was brought, it says that the kaihanim that were in the Beis HaMikdash were filled up with Ruach HaKadosh. So the kaihanim were filled with Ruach HaKadosh. The Levim, what were they known for? Shira. So they would start to sing. So kaihanim were filled with this Ruach HaKadosh, like this intense awareness. The Levim or a level down, and they sang Shira. So they didn't just sing a song. It wasn't like, you know, a 12-man band and they were, you know, singing on the on the steps. That wasn't what it was. It was a certain awareness that they had that just spilled out of their mouth. It was like, it was like, like a dance of a closeness to Hashem, okay? And then the lowest level that they had in the Beis HaMikdash was the level of Tefillah. And that was a group of Yisraelim which would be designated every day to Daven. So one more time. In the Beis HaMikdash, they would bring the carbon Mencha. At that time, there was like this Ruach, however you want to interpret this, that would spill into the Beis HaMikdash. And the Kehanim were on the highest level, they would feel this feeling. Ruach HaKadosh. The Levim, who were on a bit of a lower level, they would feel Shira. And right away, they would go, boop, like the choir would just, just kick into gear. And they would start singing Shira. And the Israelim, 
the simpler people, they would burst into tefillah. So what does that mean? It means that today, that we don't have those first two levels, we don't have the level of Ruach HaKadosh, and we don't have the level of Shira. We think of Shira like song, right? That's how I always interpret it. Like, as Yashir Maisha, they sang a song. It wasn't that they sang a song. They were filled with a feeling, and that feeling brought forth song, right? You find this, that they had, you know, Shira by the waters, and they had, there were many times that they sang Shira, and it wasn't just one Shira. Those, Shira was a, was a feeling. You felt a feeling, and that feeling just brought forth a song. Does that make sense? That's the idea. But today, obviously some people feel feelings and they, they compose music, but on our own simple level, it's the level of tefillah. So what is tefillah? So this is like the, the age-old question. Like, what is tefillah? What are you supposed to feel by tefillah? Like people closing their eyes, and they're feeling like an intensity. So he says something here, which opened my eyes. I think this is a chiddush to me. And like I even said it to my wife. And my wife was like, okay, we have to like, in, like internalize this. If I say to you, what is tefillah? What does tefillah mean? What does it mean to daven? To ask Hashem for the things that you want. We're going to break tefillah here into two sides of things. Bakasha is going to be second. And the first thing is what we're going to call pure, unadulterated tefillah. And tefillah, if you think about what we're saying here, tefillah is a feeling. Tefillah is a feeling. It's about internalizing a feeling. The first, the Kahanim felt their feeling that was Racha Kaidesh. The Levim felt their feeling and that was Shira. They were singing. And the, the, the Yisraelim felt the feeling and out came tefillah. What was that tefillah? They were stand, standing in the base of Megdosh. They felt the feeling and they said, Hashem, I want an iPod. Like, like that wasn't the feeling. Right? Hashem, the Yankees should win today. That wasn't the feeling. There was a feeling. What was that feeling? The answer is it's a three-part feeling. And he says that any person who wants to properly daven and through tefillah experience this feeling needs to think of the following three things. Okay, they're all related to each other. The first feeling is that Hashem is kol kul Everything about Hashem is good. And Hashem wants Ritzainai Lehitev. He just wants to just burst out goodness into this world. You want to visualize that goodness? He says that you can visualize a light, like a light just bursting forth. I don't want to use any metaphors of any objects because we might start going into the wrong, the wrong realm of Avedazara and Kfira. Simply, Hashem is Kalkuletaev. He's all good and he bursts forth from him a light. And that light, that warmth, that feeling is tight. It's good. The second level is that everything that we experience in this world is a manifestation of that light. Everything that we experience within this world is a manifestation of this light. So when you say the words Baruch Ata Hashem, you're not saying you are blessed Hashem. You're saying you are the Makar of all Bracha. Hashem, you are the source of everything that I see in my life and everything that I see in my life is bracha. Right? That's what you're saying. And then the third level is that a person recognizes that within themselves they have what's called a chilek elikamimah. You have a piece of Hashem inside of you. And your tafkid, your purpose in this world is to be like a mirror to that light. Is to reflect that light into the world. To become a piece of the ultimate puzzle. So Hashem has a game plan for the world and therefore everything we see is somehow playing its role within that game plan. So he has the plan, 
plan is manifesting itself. So where are you? Who are you? Where are you? Where do you fit in the story? The answer is you're somewhere. You're somewhere with a little something in you. Abilities, strengths, dreams, aspirations, emotions, knowledge. And if you channel that in the right direction towards Hashem, you've now completed the circle. And if you feel that feeling, that feeling is the feeling of tefillah. I never knew that. I don't know if you did. I never knew that. Tefillah is internalizing a real relationship. A real relationship with our Creator. And that means that we're amazing. And we feel really great things. You know, I, I don't think that it's coincidental that somebody just reached out to me. A very successful person in the medical field. I'll try to like be a little bit ambiguous, but also at the same time bring out, they recently reached out and we had a conversation about this person extremely, extremely, extremely successful in the medical world, yet at the same time feeling very depressed, anxious, low, like not really feeling much in life. And we were talking, the person was saying like, like I don't get like the purpose of like, I don't get it. Like, like I'm just not feeling anything. Like, just on this on this downward spiral on a journey. And they said, like, I don't get it. I don't get what's the purpose of life. What's the meaning of life? And we started talking. The person's issue, I'll, I'll call it, was that their experience in the world is more the the billing, the money, the car, the wealth, the fame. That's their focus. And they were like. I feel like my whole life is just a rat race. Like I'm just running. So like, I'm just going to run on this rat race until I die. That's, that's life. That's meaning. That's purpose. And spent a long time focusing on that person's ability to be a reflector of, 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 of light from above. What does that mean? I said, you are a healer. You have the ability to go. There's something called doctors without borders. You can literally go to like Africa and, you know, treat a whole village, save a whole village. People who are going blind and they, they're coming up with all these diseases, you could vaccinate them, you could give them treatment for free. And I guarantee you that you'll feel alive. You'll come back home and you'll be like, there's 500 villagers in Africa that are alive today because of me. That feeling is, is, is transcendent. It's not a feeling of, I made another few dollars, I saved a few dollars on taxes, I made another investment. I made that. That feeling of accomplishment, when we say Adam la Amalula, the person is created to achieve, to accomplish, to grow, that feeling is we're talking about a transcendent feeling, a feeling of giving life, of saving somebody's home, of taking somebody off the streets, of of, of feeding somebody, of taking somebody who has cancer and driving them to the hospital. That feeling is what we're alive for. And when you do that, you will feel alive. What this person was expressing was that he lost his whole focus on what life meant. He took all of his abilities, his knowledge, his skill, and everything, and it became about the money, the car, the fame, the accolades, and he burnt out of that. He said, this is not a life. And he's 100% right. That is not a life. That is taking all of your godly abilities and lowering them down to money, to cars, to, 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 to brands. You understand? It takes everything and it just lowers it. Whereas our, our purpose in this world, our tafkin in this world, is to elevate it. And what does it mean to elevate it? People always say, my job is to elevate it. What does that mean? It means like you stuff yourself with like all the food in the world, but you made a bracha and then it's elevated? No. That's not elevating something. It means living your life with meaning and with purpose. 
And that purpose could be for your family. It could be for the loved ones around you. But it's to experience certain times of the day, certain feelings that that, that feeling is transcendent. And if a person stops for a minute during Shemana Esra, and they just think of these three things, Hashem is kol kulei taiv, He's all good. Everything that's going on in the world is a manifestation of that good. And I, it's an empowering statement, I have the ability to be a reflection of that light into this world. That's a hischaivas. That's a responsibility that each one of us carries with ourselves. And a person feels that, he says that they envelop themselves. It's like taking a massive blanket and wrapping yourself. The warmth that you're going to feel from that feeling, that feeling, you try to feel it, you try to touch it, that feeling is what we call a relationship with Hashem. A person who feels that feeling can take that feeling, even moments of that are trying, even times when it's not so easy, and they can tap into those feelings. And I'll just end with this. that A lot of ideas that we spoke about, these ideas might seem very high. And he says... It's true. A person can look around and you buy a safer, you know, a sitter that has all the kisve arizal. Literally, it says Baruch Ata Hashem, and by Hashem's name, it has like sixteen pages of, you know, different ways of spelling like Yud Kevavke. And then, you know, you turn sixteen pages and it says Elikenu, and then Elikenu is like fourteen pages. Melech Ha'elam, and you could do that by every single bracha, right? And your sitter will be this big just for mincha, because you know all the Shema Mefarish and everything. It's so deep, your your mind can never even grasp that. But he says, you shouldn't, a person shouldn't ever think to themselves that if that's what it takes, then I'll never get there. Because a person, you might have a mechanic who could take apart a car, but any individual person can drive a car. You may have a watchmaker who knows how to take apart a watch with a thousand pieces and put it back together. But any person could put a watch on their hand and tell the time. You don't have to be the world's biggest expert on tefillah, on, on Chumash, on knowledge, on Chachmah, or anything, to feel the feelings that we're talking about. And I'll say it even more. You don't have to give up your liver. You don't have to give up your kidney. You don't have to become a world-renowned doctor in order to feel these feelings. If you, if, if you stop for a minute, any time during the day, and try to find real meaning, a real purpose, real meaning, real purpose, whether it's in any relationship, or anything that you're doing, but you actually make it real, it's a real feeling, you give tzedakah and you feel you feel something. There's a feeling. I just help somebody. It doesn't make you awesome, by the way. It doesn't make you amazing. You're amazing anyways, but it's not about you. It's not about, oh my gosh, I gave $100 and all of a sudden I'm amazing. No, you have a chiv to give tzedakah and you should have given tzedakah. What makes you amazing is that you're a partner with Hashem. Not because you are amazing, because you, you walk around in your brand name clothing, you're amazing because you're a reflection of Hashem. And when you feel that, I partner with the Creator. He creates, He sustains, I create, I sustain. That feeling is an incredibly intense feeling. You don't have to move mountains in order to feel this feeling on a daily basis. And if a person does that, then I think the key is that a person actually starts to feel what a real relationship feels like. I think this is the key. A person doesn't just go through their whole life and say, is Hashem going to smite me down? Am I going to go to Gehenim? That person doesn't even understand what it means to have a relationship with anything, let alone Hashem. If a person understands what it means to have a real relationship with other people, have a real relationship where it's not just in your brain, but it's in the Olam HaAsiyah, you're doing something. But the key is that it's done with the proper emotion you want to give, you want to connect, you want to love, you want to feel, those feelings, if those feelings become real and actualized, then a person should know that they're, they're living, you're living a real life, a transcendent life. 
even if you're just walking around the streets of Lakewood or Borough Park or Williamsburg, you're just walking around the streets. You're living a transcendent life. Why? Because there's real, real meaning in your day. When a person's asking questions like, does Hashem hate me? Does Hashem love me? Am I going to Gehenim? You're, you're, you're so not understanding what a relationship is. And if ultimately the key to everything is having a deep, meaningful relationship with your creator, a person on a daily basis can do that. And guess what we have? We have 613 mitzvahs, which are abilities to connect to the Ratzon Hashem and manifest itself through us in a daily basis. And that's it. That's it. In order to achieve greatness, you don't have to live on a mountain. You don't have to become a monk. You have to be you. And you in a real way, a real relationship with yourself, a real relationship with the people around you, and a real relationship with your creator. And how do you do that? By internalizing that Hashem is good, everything that I see in this world is good, and I am an actor on this world stage. And if I just play my part, like being really real with my emotions and my relationships with other people, I utilize my knowledge, my talents, everything that Hashem gave me, my money, my resources, to give to other people, to help other people, to help myself, to grow, to be the best version of myself that I possibly can. You're literally a walking Kiddush Hashem. And that feeling of being kaivish yetzer, of staying calm when somebody's angry at you, and not answering back when somebody says something to you, or, or giving somebody, but in a really true way, that feeling is, 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 is transcendent. It's not here. It's not of this world. And a person can actually taste and feel greatness on a daily basis. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.